Welcome to That's No Longer My Ministry, a podcast that tells a different story about healing. A story of healing as discipline, as real, hard, and uncomfortable work. This is a place where we honor the journeys of marginalized folk actively purging years of programming and the consequence of never being centered. A place for acknowledging and moving through trauma. A place where radical self-liberation is sought and no is a complete sentence. You should listen if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry. Welcome to the pod. I'm so excited to be talking to you, Lily. Um, why don't you start with telling me how you're feeling in this moment? And it could be, you know, how you're feeling in your body or just how you're feeling overall. But I just kind of want to center and ground us in what's going on for you right now. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot that's been happening, but I'm excited to be talking with you too. Um and, you know, I think I'm in a space where I'm just reminded how good it can be to just take things hour by hour, minute by minute, day by day. Um, I think it's been a while since I've been really focused on that. And I think that's the space that I'm in now, which is giving me the ability to move forward. And I'm finding a lot of grace in that. Um, so it's a it's the end of the semester. Um, so professionally and work-wise things are calming down. And at the same time, um, personally, things seem to have been ramping up, um, which is fortunate timing, but, you know, overall still just vibing day. <laughs> like, things, things are good even when they're, they're chaotic or unknown or new. So that's, that's, I think, where I am today. And I also just going to give myself all the permission and grace that everything that we talk about today is is coming from a place of where I am now. And if we were to do this interview tomorrow, it'd be different answers. And if on Friday, it would be different. But today, that's that's what I'm feeling. I love that. That's so that is like a great way to open this up, because I feel that wholeheartedly. If someone asks me sometimes, sometimes any of these questions about my healing journey, about mm -hmm. especially where, you know, where I'm at with my mental health, where I'm at with my depression is a very different story on a different day. Yes. And and we have to allow ourselves to feel all these kinds of ways and they can all exist at the same time if we want them to. And I think that has been a huge part of me having grace for myself and me giving myself the space to just be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I've been finding a lot of a lot of grace in that. And so I'm glad to hear, of course, you feel it too. Like, I always think who's who's Nadia to me, and you know, we're each other's mirrors, among many things, but it makes sense to me that you understand what, what I'm feeling. So Yes, I love that. And so let's let's also like talk to the listeners about who you are, um, how I know you. I've known you for so many years. Honestly, it feels like I've known yes. you for my whole life. Yes. Um, we're both, we met in Lawrence, Kansas. We're like, we met at some kind of like candlelight visual thing accidentally. Somebody was attacking me and you, <laughs> and you That's and Darren. <laughs> I'm like, just, not going to have this. 
<laughs> not gonna like you just showed up and i feel like that's that's i mean Is you just really show the up the first for time me. we met yes wow that's deep that's like we i think we've existed in similar spaces right because yes. Lawrence has a very limited black population and mm -hmm. we had the same friends, but at the same time, I don't think I'd ever had any kind of real interaction with you besides just existing in spaces together. Yeah. But in that moment, you just showed up and you were like, not today. <laughs> no, <laughs> this isn't happening to her. Um, and we've been yeah, friends ever since. <laughs> But really, I really am excited to have this conversation because of the work that you've been doing in your PhD and the conversations that we've been able to have about that work and also just the stuff we haven't gotten to talk about. So I'm excited mm. to dig into that today, but would love if you just kind of shared some of the work that you're doing and the journey that you're currently on. Yeah, so let's see. I first and foremost, I'll have to let people know I'm a tourist. Tourist season is almost over, which is fine. We'll enter into Gemini season. Yes. I'm really <laughs> talking shit on Geminis, but the real truth is that, like, so many of my best friends are Geminis. So I am excited for Gemini season as well. I just have to keep my foot on y'all's neck, you know, just for funsies. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm working on my PhD in rhetoric and composition at the University of Kansas, but for the next year, I've accepted a dissertation fellowship with Middle Tennessee State, and so I'll be moving to Tennessee. I am deeply a Midwest girl. I love the Midwest. Um, I would have lived in this area for the rest of my life with no second thought. And so, you know, I need, as a deep earth sign um, who also has a lot of water, you know, I need things to pull me um, into new spaces. So I'm looking forward to that. I love TV. I'm very serious about naps. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I am fat. I am queer. Both of those things show up um, in all the things that I do. Um, I love fashion. I've learned so much over the last year, and I'm sure this is something we'll get into more later, how important fashion and photography, you know, like photo shoots with friends, like that really is very serious and central to my self-love practice. And mm that has been missing in the pandemic and so i'm excited to re-emerge and i think that's the the energy that i feel myself coming into well it's so funny because i think you're one of very few if maybe the only people i've ever spoken to who's like i love the midwest and i could stay <laughs> forever because anybody who knows yeah. me and i haven't lived in the midwest for over five years now they're like when they talk to me i'm like i'm from the midwest but i don't really claim it that often <laughs> I try not to be associated. So, you're such a good chameleon. Like you can exist anywhere. I don't, and you have existed, you know, many places. I don't know that about me yet. Like I never, I didn't know how Midwestern I was until I visited New York. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> go home. I'm ready to be in a car again. I was like, how do people grocery shop for two weeks? Oh, they just don't. You go to the bodega every day. You know, it was just, I was really experiencing like some regional cultural shock because I'm like everything that I know is just very Midwest. Um, and so I'll be interested and excited to see what life will be like in the South um, and just in a new space. Cause I, I literally, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I am very proud black Midwest um, 
forever, regardless of where I live. I love that. That's like, maybe I need to have like a badge of honor in regards to my Midwest life because some of my favorite people in the world, including you, live there. Mm-hmm. And it brought me so many wonderful people who I will always be friends with. But yeah, ooh, it just brought a lot of other shit that I just don't think I can fuck with. So, <laughs> And that is also very real. People, a lot of people don't know about the Midwest or they think it's just white or it's just cows or, you know. That's true. <laughs> like there's so much rich, rich black life here and, and, and other things that, yeah, I'm very, very deeply... Even if I wasn't proud of it, I would still be very Midwest. And so I just, but I am proud to be here. Awesome. Well, I think this is a perfect time to get into our first segment, which is called So We've Been Told. I think this is important because part of me starting this podcast has a lot to do with making our stories, the stories Mm -hmm. of marginalized folk, the center of our conversation. I know that stories are extremely powerful and they have consequences. And so we have been holding on to a lot of stories that influence our behaviors, the way that we act and move through life. And so part of this segment is really taking a look at some of these stories and unpacking them. What do they really mean? Do they resonate with us, with our identities? What is it? And so before we do that, I wanted to get a little bit from you. You've been on this journey of exploring pleasure. And Actually, as I was looking up, because my my method for setting this up is like, let me Google (laughs) what (laughs) is out there on pleasure. And I will say Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of good quotes to to pull from, which I think has a lot to do with why you've really moved in on this research topic. Um, And so what are some like just real fast, like what is something that you have learned um, high level from just learned about yourself? from looking at pleasure? Yeah, for me to even engage in pleasure that is authentic, helpful, healthy, I have to be in alignment with myself, which means that my mind and my body have got to be one. Mm. Um, And I know what it's like when I'm out of alignment, because in many ways I'm out of, I'm like coming back into alignment right now. Um, I'm not completely in alignment now, but I've been in alignment before. So I know what that feels like. And I think that this, it's hard to say, you know, what's true for everyone, but I have found and am finding that understanding what it means to be in alignment, which of course that will be different for everyone. But I think that core principle is a really essential part of even being able to engage in pleasure at all, because Pleasure requires agency, consent, you know, like enthusiasm, and all of that is really difficult um, when when you're internally um, and physically like misaligned. And I didn't, Mm. I don't know that I would have had language for that a year ago, maybe even six months ago. Um, And so that that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. Like before I can get into anything about pleasure. I need to know whether I'm in alignment or not. Mm. And when you say pleasure, just because I want to make sure people understand, when you say pleasure, like, what are the activities you're referring to? Because it could be a lot of things, right? Yes. So when I talk about pleasure, I'm always referencing sexual and non-sexual pleasure. I find when most people um, think of pleasure, their mind immediately goes to sex. Maybe sometimes it goes to food. 
maybe they think of a certain like a color red you know it's like i've been asking people this a lot um but rarely non-sexual pleasures are the impulse but there for me there's no hierarchy non-sexual and sexual pleasures are equal for me um very broadly generally vaguely i just describe pleasure as an emotional and embodied encounter um and i find that each individual gets to and needs to understand what pleasure is for them specifically because uh, what's going to bring me pleasure may or may not be what will bring you pleasure too um i'll say a, a bit of this for when i when we talk more about what it means to be pleasure literate but um yeah i think that's kind of the vague like the super base base baseline like yeah things that i think of um when i'm just talking about pleasure that's so good. You just said a number of things that I could not find in a Google search. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's funny because it's interesting when you say pleasure, even when you told me about pleasure, I did automatically think sex. Mm -hmm. But as a person who mostly got sex ed from TV and mm -hmm. like mostly media, to be honest, yep. pleasure was never at the center of what they had been describing. So I find that really interesting in myself, but let me not get into that too much before we look at some of these quotes that I pulled. Um, I don't have the names of the people who said all these things because I didn't think they were that important. No offense, but <laughs> to be honest, these aren't, I don't feel like I'm coming in hot with a lot of these quotes, but I just wanted to see from your research, like what do you feel about this? So the first one, what we learn with pleasure, we never forget. Mm, I like that. What that signals to me is the embodied part of pleasure um when i think about pleasure as being emotional and embodied together um i do believe that there are things that the body understands even when we don't have language for it and i don't think that an embodied memory or experience even needs um verbal affirmation or communication of it and in part that's what um being aligned and misaligned feels like even when i don't have all the, the words to explain why I don't feel like I'm aligned or what caused it. I just know that when it's, when it's off or when it's right. Um, and so in that sense, yeah, that quote makes sense to me. I like that. Nice. Okay. We, we killed it on that one. Okay. Second one, the greatest pleasure of life is love. <laughs> the face. Oh my gosh. I wish people could see the face that just happened. Cause it was like, like <laughs> right in your face. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, sh I guess I need to think about why that was my reaction. Okay, this is what I think it is. Similar to pleasure, I think when I hear love, when most people hear love talk about it, it invokes this very monogamous, fairy tale-ish marriage, like, you know, thing. That is not at all where love exists for me. Um, so when I step outside of that impulse, because I think, and yeah, maybe that another, I feel like I've done all this rewiring around pleasure. And I think I need to do some rewiring around love. Cause I'm like, now when I do think about the love that I feel for my friends and my community, I, I do agree that that is like of great magnitude and that I get a lot of pleasure from that. 
Um, so I guess the face was, I needed to figure out what love meant in this quote. Um, and it is my assumption that the person who said this may not share a definition of love in the same way that I do. But when I, I think about friend love, that feels very true to me. Um, cause I, I say all the time, this is the thing I should have introduced with myself to, um, my friends who I also like, it feels weird to just call friends, not even family, but you know, my friends who are family are very much at the center of my life. And I think I'm just going to always be a person whose life is constructed that way. And that's how I want it to be. I take being a friend very seriously. Um, I find a lot of fulfillment in that. Um, and yeah, so that, that makes sense to me. So read the quote again, the great. <laughs> I was like, did we lose it? The greatest pleasure of life is love. Yeah, I guess I agree with that. I would just be, it would be more interesting to me to hear how others interpret love that brings them the greatest pleasure. For me, that is a love that takes care of, of, of people. Yeah. That, I don't know. I totally get what you're saying because I think when people think of love, they often leave platonic love out of the yes. equation. Yes. Which is a big problem for me. Cause like yes. the greatest loves of my life are my, are my friends. Like they yes. are my community there. I have, I have a different kind of love for them than I have had or have for my partner at the same time. Yes. I think one thing with my partner that I've developed is that platonic love too. And that was central for us to have an amazing love because yes. I need to, I need to have that. Right. I think we've had this yeah. conversation too of like, I need to know that when something seriously is wrong, if I can go to you, you are deeply my friend. If I'm like, mm. you can, you can cater to what I need right now. You are deeply my friend. And that is something that is for me the greatest pleasure, but I don't know if that quote was serving that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we we can what's great what's great also about a quote similar to any art is it gets just put out into the world and how people interpret it we can't control but we I, I appreciate our space to bring what we mean to it so yeah we are of course in the in agreement with that but yeah that makes all the sense to me and the last one isn't a quote but I was also thinking okay this is actually where I hear pleasure used the most when people say guilty pleasure Woo! what are your thoughts on guilty pleasures. Yeah. It's uh, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't tell me how you really feel. Right. Getting right to the meat, right to the core. Um, I think that is also another thing that is worth interrogating. The first thing that comes to mind always, and I think that started shifting my idea around this, was um, through uh, this quote that Shonda Rhimes, the creative scandal, Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Murder, all Bridgerton, all these things um, said a few years ago is that a lot of people would like write her being like, Scandal's my guilty pleasure. And I'm also rewatching Scandal right now. So I think that's why this is on my mind. Um, Scandal's my guilty pleasure. And she's like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> like, you know, no. the opposite of that. And I think that people don't, apparently those people who were saying that, you know, did not have that context to understand that that's that's not a good thing um and i find that for pleasures that are deemed 
guilty or not by public understanding, whatever that means, um, have a lot of guilt and shame attached to them. And that, and that makes me really sad. Um, because in my research, which is focused specifically on Black women and pleasure, um, when I would be talking to these women about, you know, what does pleasure look like in your life? How do you know when you deserve it? All these things, a, a, a big thread that would come up is having to do so much work to believe that they were even deserving of pleasure, having to do so much work to even believe, uh, or you're having to undo so much shame and guilt to even unlock pleasure. Like, you know, very big um, barriers that stand between a lot of people's um, ability to even get to pleasure. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think if I think there are any valid guilty pleasures and I'm not sure that I believe that. I get the impulse, but I think that it's just worth investigating further why you feel it has to be a guilty pleasure. Why doesn't it get to just be a pleasure? Yeah. Similar guilt? Phrases. We don't have like joyful pleasure, shit. Like, you know, <laughs> like, there's only that negative connotation, which is what what's what's hard to vibe with. Yeah, and guilt and shame is like not it. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't know why we'd have to, because I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of, I would say, children of immigrants, which I am one, we deal a lot with shame. Like that was our way of, our our families would shame us into certain behaviors. That was kind of like the ultimate punishment wasn't like time out, it was shame. And so when I think about that and associate like, okay, well, I love doing this, but it's my guilty or shameful pleasure. It's like, do you love doing this? Cause it sounds like it's bringing a lot of stuff up in your head, in your body, in order to enjoy this thing when really you can just simply enjoy it. Yes, yes, very much that. And I think this still taps into that, why I hold such a broad definition of um, like an emotional embodied encounter with pleasure. Cause I'm like, guilt is a very visceral emotion that a lot of people feel. It is my hope that all pleasures would be positive emotions, but that doesn't always get to be true at the beginning. Because I think with guilty pleasures, people do really enjoy it, but they have this looming shame cloud over them. And it's like, oh, you got to get rid of that. Like, like if you're going to do it, I, and I, this is so like one of my life philosophies, like if you're going to do it, do it. Commit, forget the guilt. Like why, why even invite that into the room? Just let that go if you're already going to engage in a thing. Well, I feel like it's a good way to get into the meat of this conversation. So as we all know, this is called That's No Longer My Ministry. And I want to hear from you what is no longer your ministry, at least today. Mm -hmm. Yes, at least today. Yeah, just denying myself pleasure. I was Mm -hmm. excellent at that. And in some ways, you know, I'm not saying I got it down perfectly and I I don't do it, but I think an unwritten philosophy that I maybe held for many years was denying myself pleasure and thinking that X, Y, and Z had to be done before or, you know, um, another one of my research areas is I'm, I'm very interested in fat studies and the socialization of fat. And um, I think things that that would bring up is, you know, I very, I deeply reject, like 
I used to believe, oh, you have to be a certain size to enjoy X, Y, and Z. You have to, you can only enjoy this, 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 if you're in a relationship, you know, all of that. I'm fucking done with it. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's untrue. It's unhelpful. It's harmful. Um, but that takes a lot of work to get to that place. But that is work that I am deeply committed to, deeply invested in, deeply interested in, um, and something that I need to remind myself. So I love the framing of that question. I need to remember that denying myself pleasure is no longer my ministry. Yes. So thank you for that, for that framing. Well, one thing that you brought up too, and when I ask this question, I always like to go into like, what was the myth or what is the belief that you would hold on to? And mm-hmm. from what you were saying, it sounded like, and you can correct me and, and make this yours, but it sounded like you, you believed you had to earn pleasure. Mm-hmm. Very much. It felt that it did have to be earned rather than it just being um, a right, innate, you know, uh, that's something else I've come across in my research and a point that I've come to is, um, I do believe that pleasure is like a civil human right. And I'd never operated from that place before. And I don't think that there's even much discourse around that. Um, like at all, actually. And, you know, what gets hard for me is at first I really had to ask myself, do I believe that like all people, like all people, including heinous people, like, do I believe that all people are actually deserving of pleasure? And I do, because I'm like, I think some of the heinous (laughs) Uh, things that we see are perhaps connected to a denial of pleasure also and not and not understanding that but for me where I do operate I can't think about whiteness I can't think about maleness but I am very much focused on black women queer folks fat folks disabled folks like where multiply marginalization is happening pleasure has to be at the center. Um, and it's it's in those spaces that I, I don't hesitate at all. It's like pleasure, The it reminds me how urgent pleasure is um, and how much harder it can be for multiply marginalized folks to get to pleasure. And so that's that's where I'm, I'm really operating from. What made you like stumble upon this concept as something that you, first of all, wanted to spend like your education <laughs> digging into, mm-hmm. but what was like, what was the central reason for y- you feeling like I need to be the one to look at this. I need to be the one to talk about this. Yeah. So I have the best therapist in the world. I hope for every black woman, especially to find a black woman therapist that they can vibe with. Cause it's changed my life. And in these therapy sessions, you know, I really started going to her because when it came time for me to do my doctoral exams, I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> it seemed too, it seemed too much. Like I was, I ended up reading over a hundred books and articles. I had to write over 20 pages of a review. I had to do a three hour oral exam. And at the time I didn't think I had any of those skills. I excelled. I did it. It was fine. <laughs> like how did I not think that I could do that but that was really a block and so that's what got me interested in therapy of course over the course of the last when did I start seeing her 
almost four years ago, all these other things have come up. In this time, I've come out publicly, although I've known, I've always known I've been queer. Um, you know, I've really healed a lot of uh, religious wounds, which brings me to this, to this point in this question. I think uh, to the previous question, even like thinking about what myth was I believing, you know, growing up in conservative Christianity left zero room for pleasure. And because um, it was, you know, very much the belief that you have to deny the self um, to do anything good or, you know, to take care of anyone else. And that's just really, like, I, 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 I don't vibe with that um, for many reasons. Like, I don't want to get into all the things, all my wounds with Christianity, but the thing that I wish that Christianity could also hold is that, like, taking care of yourself really enables you to be, to show up for others so well. And like, yeah. So that's more where I am coming from because I'll always be a spiritual being. Um, and so that's been a big shift in my practice. But what my therapist and I would have to work through was all of these really very big mental blocks that I would have that felt connected to religious trauma that would enable me from engaging in pleasure. I think at the time I was mostly only consumed with sexual pleasure. And it was like, I remember wanting to have all this sex, you know, just wanting to feel free to make the decision. Uh, Cause at this point it was like, I've been having sex since 18, but mostly with women. So no one knew about that cause I wasn't out yet. And as I kept trying to think about what does it look like to feel safe enough um, to also engage with sex with men, I had to do all of this work in therapy because it was, then that would mean going against, um, what does it look like, you know, undoing the belief that I have, I can have sex outside of marriage. That was a huge, like, Christian thing that I felt like I was holding on to. And so um, my therapist basically through a lot of work, through a lot of intentionality, I was getting closer and closer to feeling free to just engage in the world in a way that I wanted, essentially. Mm. That's through sex, whether that's through anything else. Um, and I felt like I got to that place and I was like, you know what? Um, I take, you know, I love New Year's. It's another thing I should have said about myself at the beginning. It's like, I feel very central to my personality and being. And I take uh, that time of reflection very seriously and I always choose a word of the year. And my word, um, for 2020 was pleasure. And it was about six months before that, like June, 2019, that I was just like, you know what? I'm going to start focusing on my own pleasure in a way that I've never done before. I think at the time I still had a very simple view of that. I think at the time that just had to look like I'm going to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. And that's basically what I did. And it was fun and it was great. And it was like, oh, sex can be had without guilt. I think I didn't know that. Like, you know, with the religious upbringing, it was, it was difficult to know um, what was going to be true or not. And I had a great time in many ways. <laughs> I mean, me and you would text about it. Like, it was a very liberating space that I had never inhabited before, but I, I did that with a lot of intentionality. Um, and I think that was also attached to um, knowing and believing like 
yes, you are attractive and desirable, even as a very fat, dark-skinned Black woman. Like, you know, it was it was religion, it was a, attraction stuff, it was desire, it was a whole bunch of things that I had to unpack to even feel free to date, to do whatever, in a way that wasn't hidden. Because I think sex for me up to this point was something that was very shame-filled. It was just me. No one else knew about it. And so pleasure was, I, I knew it needed to be opposite of that. I needed to feel free to talk about it publicly and privately, to tell my friends what's going on, to tell my friends who's coming over, to tell them what dates I'm going on, what guy, you know, just whatever. And that was so, it was one, so much safer. <laughs> like, yeah. Before I was going to all these encounters that no one had any idea about, um, which I'm like, I just got very lucky. That was far more dangerous than engaging in like very open, you know, and, and it was so uh, fulfilling to also have friends who could talk to me about their sex lives without any shame, um, without any guilt. And that gave me just so much permission to have that for myself. Now what I know between June 19 and now is that um, pleasure is sex, but pleasure is also so much more than sex. I think at the time I, I needed some entry point. And so it felt, it felt very simplistic in that way. But I don't believe that the professional and the personal always have to be the same, but I think it is a good thing when it's a means of motivation. And for me, I had, um, so the semester after I did my doctoral exams, you have to defend your dissertation. And I had proposed a project that was gonna be looking at like fat representation across media types. And that's still a project that I wanna do, but wasn't right for the time. So I basically, um, like eight months went by and I had nothing. And I was like, well, this is not gonna work. But also what was happening is it was June 19 that I started on this pleasure journey. And CoStar, you know, the scathing, um, intruding astrology app that it is, sent me um, a notification one day, and this would have been like February, 2020. And it said, invisible work is still work. And I was like, okay. And then the next day it said, go deeper. I was like, what? And then the third day it was like, you know, being confident, like be confident in yourself. And I was like, okay, I, what is happening? Like it seemed that those three messages were coming together. And at the same time, I was um, teaching a literacy narrative unit, which I always teach because I find that literacy really is an avenue to help my students see what they're really good at. And it's always important for me to help them realize that they have skills and expertise, whether they're aware of it or not. The way that I teach the assignment is that students can write about something traditional, reading, writing, learning a language, or they can write about anything else, how they learn to play soccer, working at Best Buy, being a waitress. All of those are literacy skills. And one student said that she wanted to write about being a liar, being an effective liar. And I thought, oh, dang. That's interesting. And that is certainly a literacy skill set. So let's get into it. And I think that opened up for me literacy even more. And I started thinking like, dang, what can we learn about pleasure if we look at it through the lens of literacy? But at this point, I'm like, I already committed to my dissertation topic. You know, what am I going to do? But my gut was like, this is your project. This is the thing that you have to do. So I went to my chair and I was like, you know, 
what I'm about to say is going to sound scary, but I just need you to trust me. And I was like, I have to change my topic. I was like, I don't have anything for the other project. And I was like, I promise if you let me do this, I'm going to make progress. Like I was like, I'm, this is what I'm, I should be doing. And because I have the best advisor in the world, she's an angel. She's perfect. She was like, okay, I support you. And so now here I am a year later, still developing pleasure literacy, still working with it. It has been quite literally life-saving. I um, I basically got approval for that topic early March and then the, the university shut down like a week later. And so focusing on pleasure in the pandemic over the, like I think has quite literally kept me alive. Not a lot of other people are actually looking at this. Mm-hmm. So this is truly unique. This is truly something that needs to be explored. And I'd love to talk about the work that goes into self-exploration and even from the interviews that you've gathered from other people, like what does, you know, it's the work for me. What does the work look like to start opening up your world to feel more free to explore your own pleasure? Yes. Well, that's such a good question. I don't know if I've been asked that directly before or even thought about it um, directly. So the first things that are coming to mind and maybe this is, to attach to my own experience, although I do think it is in part how it works, it is being attentive to and being willing to respond to those parts of you that are uncomfortable with pleasure. So before I could even get to pleasure, I had to figure out why do I have complicated feelings around sex? What are the literal barricades to that? Or, you know, insert whatever you whatever pleasure you feel like you want to engage in because again I want to be very clear that pleasure is is not just sexual for me that's where it started um but for most people if they are not already in a space of feeling like they deserve it can engage it it starts with the work of thinking about where where does that come from and you know what can you do to start to heal that because when we come into pleasure without intentionality, that likely is gonna cause harm. Um, it is hard to be a full agent in something that you don't understand why you're doing it. Mm. And I think some people may find that they stumble into pleasure. It is not that I believe that everyone engages in pleasure because they've done a lot of internal deep hard work but I think that is what I advocate for (laughs) like I think it is very important to um have at least some language or at least some embodied feeling of what you want that experience to be like particularly if you are engaging in pleasures that involve other people um although there are several solo pleasures but I also believe deeply in the relationship between ourselves like even when it's just me I still want to know why I feel a certain way um, how I feel about a thing, you know? So I think that is important because I do, I think it is difficult to engage in genuine pleasure without that self love and without that alignment. Um, Mm. I know when I'm in alignment, when no other voices are louder than my own, that's Mm. how it's like, I could walk down. Look, it's like, actually, the, the thing I would tell people is, I know I'm in alignment when I think I'm the baddest bitch in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is 
is literally a grocery store. No one is here to like, and it's like, I'm walking down these aisles like it's a catwalk. And it's like, you can't tell me shit. I think I'm the most beautiful bitch in here. Like, you know, it's like, it's this feeling that I, I don't know how to explain other than that, but I know that because I've felt it before. And I think there is something to that self-assuredness that can open up other avenues and that can invite other people in to that space. Um, I know I'm out of alignment when I care yeah, about other people's thoughts, reactions, responses more than my own. It's when I'm like, oh, are they going to be concerned that my belly line is visible? Oh, will I, do they, do I care about what I'm wearing? Any of that. And it's like, I really actually don't have room, time for that. You know, it's so exhausting, but sometimes it's just where it is. Like in many ways, I feel like that's where I'm coming out of. Um, and it's, there are many reasons why I think I've been out of alignment, but I, what I feel um, is that I'm, I'm getting closer to it. And I think that this this summer, the world opening back up slightly, you know, I'm not trying to like fully emerge, but, you know, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier, being able to get dressed up again is going to be really helpful for me. Um, yeah, like fashion and being in an aesthetic that feels good is like really at the center of my practice. And I don't think I knew that before. So being in the house in PJs for the last year, I've really taken a hit, you know, being more sedentary than I've ever been that like those things have not yielded me the feelings um, Mm -hmm. that are most familiar and recognizable to me. And so I think my body has changed a lot over the last year. And ultimately when I'm naked in the mirror, I'm still like, this works for me. This is great. But my mind still has to catch up. And so my mind finally catches up with my body as it is, I'll be back in alignment and I'll be able to pursue pleasure in the way that is most fulfilling to me. Because I think that's also a thing that just happens is I don't believe that we have to be in alignment all the time. One that's not realistic, it's not helpful. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I, I do feel that it's important to have the language around that because now I know it would actually not be helpful for me to engage with others because I'm not, they would have too much power over me. And I think that that would actually be denying myself pleasure. There's, there's so many things that you just said that sparked so many questions, uh, more curiosities than anything else. Not like I'm confused. I just want to, <laughs> I want to dig in more because there's so much goodness that came out of it. I think one thing that I'll say first is that that mind body alignment has been something I didn't realize I even had to focus on in my life and as i've thought about it more and i don't remember who even brought this idea up to me recently but i thought of as i thought about it more i realized i've spent the majority of my life trying to separate my mind from my body mm. like i i grew up with deep deep hatred for my body and yeah. i didn't want my mind to catch catch those feels like it was like just put it somewhere else just put it somewhere else never think about connecting the two and it's very much shown up for me in my relationship to movement and working out and like trying yeah. to find a practice that works for me cuz i know that after 10 minutes I, I do a lot of cycling after 10 minutes of cycling or even 10 minutes of running my mind and my body start to connect 
And mm. that's when I can feel really good in the workout. Like, oh, you feel this? Like it's really ramping up. See, you can do this. You actually can do this. Why were yeah. you telling yourself you couldn't? Like, it's like all of a sudden my mind shifts from being like, we don't want to do this. This is not what we want to do today to mm -hmm. this feeling of like, see, look at this. Like you can do anything. And it's like that, that alignment is something I would have never thought about before this year. So that's interesting mm. that you brought that up. But one thing, one thing you said was like, you, you know what being in alignment is like because you felt it before. What's mm -hmm. a memory of you feeling it? Yeah, definitely those times in the grocery stores when I'm like, oh, girl, you're cute, you're great, you're doing fine. But I think the time that I really, that really affirmed it for me, um, I was on Bumble one night and I'm like, okay, let's see what fun we can get into. And I match with this guy and... He's also fat. So I'm like, great. This is going to be like, we're like, it was like immediate vibes from the start. And I so love having other fat partners. There's like a sacredness in that for me. But I'm trying to see if this is true. I think prior, prior to him, I felt a lot more comfort with like basically hooking up at other people's places because I was like, I don't really know that I want them to know where I live. What if they show up at my doorstep one day? Like, you know, it was all this anxiety. And then I started thinking about, well, what are the positives? Like, I know my space. I can set up the environment exactly how I want. I know exactly where everything is. I know that there are no cameras. There are no guns, you know, just things like this. And so it would bring this ease. And basically we were talking um, and pretty quickly it was clear that we would like to have sex that night <laughs> and <laughs> I had to make a decision like is this just gonna be chat but I'm really gonna like disappear or am I gonna like follow through on the big shit that I'm saying and more importantly the desire that I'm feeling like this was something that I really really wanted I was noticing this in my body and I was like okay you know, and, and it was like he needed a few hours to like finish up what he was doing. And so that gave me also a couple hours to like clean the space, get myself together and basically take a huge risk and feeling like this guy that I don't know is about to come over. And what could that mean? But what I was noticing the whole time was my gut was completely calm. Usually when I'm anxious, I can feel it in my throat. I can feel it in my chest and it'll sometimes also be in my stomach. And I felt none of that. Now, of course, could there be a situation where I'm not feeling that and maybe it turns out bad? Sure. But this was not that situation. It was like my body was giving me all of the permission to go forward. Because I do believe when there's red flags or other thing, I trust my gut to tell me. But I was getting no warning signs. He came over. It was fantastic. It's still like one of the best emotional and physical connections I've ever had. And it was just it was a great vibe. and what I learned through that was one, I can trust my body to communicate to me, but it means that my body does have to be in alignment for me to receive these messages. Because when I try to rely on my body and I'm out of alignment, then, then there's risk for harm. But that was, I remember that being a really surprising um, maybe outcome or encounter because I don't know, I'm very risk averse. Like, I don't actually take a lot of risk. I don't, like, I'm not, I just don't rock the boat very much. 
Um, and this had been like months of dating and having fun, having spontaneous sex, you know, whatever. And I just said, learned like, okay, this is the thing that you get to engage in. This is the permission that you get to have. You get to trust your body in this process. Um, so that again, and this question on any other day might prompt or bring forward a different memory, but the grocery store in this specific night is like the first two that come to mind when it's like, I know what that feels like. Um, and even still, I, I, yeah, I can, I can feel it now, like that memory of what it, what it's like. Yeah. And I, and my other question that I was thinking of, and I'm still thinking of now is how do you, or how do you think people can go about finding that alignment? Like what, what if you don't know where to start? Like, how do I know if my mind and my body are aligned Mm -hmm. and, and are there like cues we need to pay attention to? Like what, what can we do Mm-hmm. to start to understand that alignment in ourselves. Cause I, I'm imagining it, it feels and looks differently for everybody. It does. It so does. And I, I really loved what you just said about, you know, that when you're on the bike or you're on a run after about 10 minutes, things are coming together for you. To me, that tells me that there's something that you're paying attention to. And to me, that is a, an example of what it looks like to be pleasure literate. And so I'm still developing this concept, but the things that I know now is one, it's, it's emergent. And I think it's always going to be emergent. And I think initially I felt this a lot of pleasure, excuse me. I felt a lot of pressure to like develop this concept through a fixed list, like almost a thing, like you do X, Y, and Z and you'll equal this. And literacy though, and pleasure are like, not about a checklist and it is way more dynamic than that because it requires so much flexibility because of our individual needs and positionalities. Um, And it recognizes, it gives us a lot of freedom in recognizing that our alignment and our pleasure needs are not going to be the same. And so when we're pleasure like illiterate, that's where we risk harming each other. And I think that's also where we risk the pressure of it being the same for everyone. Um, I think that's where we risk stealing or robbing from another person. Um, because I think about like what I need as a fat queer black woman is gonna vary even from like a straight fat black woman, let alone a straight white man, uh, you know, anyone else. Put in any mm-hmm. mix of identities, right? And I find that our individual, we like holding this literacy requires that alignment. Um, And what it does is it has to help us realize that like our individual pleasure needs are also still connected to others. What, especially if um, I'm outside of like solo pleasures and I wanna engage in pleasures, whether sexual or non-sexual that invite other people in, I have to be mindful of how my pleasure needs require energy labor showing up from somebody else. So I think what we often see time and time again is that folks want pleasure, but they're not thinking about what it requires from somebody else. And that's that kind of illiteracy part that I'm talking about. Um, But this understanding that our pleasure needs are connected, I think there can be, there's a lot of room for potential in that. 
I don't have a formula or anything more than just encouraging people to learn what it means to listen to your body. This is something I've said for years. Um, it's something I've had to learn. I think it can look like learning. You have to learn, I think, what stress and bad feelings feel like in the body just as much as good feelings. Like I had to figure out, okay, when I'm really stressed, I hunch my shoulders, I clench my jaw, my like shoulders will be hard as rocks. Like, you know, and I think our ability to understand what like negative feelings and emotions feel like help us locate the positive emotions just as well. As I mentioned earlier, I know anxiety is like very much always in the throat and the chest. Like when I'm writing something and I'm behind, I'm procrastinating, I'm whatever, it's like tight. It's horrible. It's like my least favorite feeling in the world, actually. <laughs> feels like a, it's just, it's, it's really bad. Um, versus when I'm in pleasure and alignment, it's like my gut is free. I feel light, even being as physically heavy as I am. You know, it's like, it's just totally different. But I only have that language because I've been very committed for years to listening to my body. Um, but I mean, also, I say that it's connected to self-love because it's like, I am so interested in what I think. And I am so interested in what I feel. And I love myself so deeply that I'm like, I want to know everything about what I think and what I feel and why I think like, you know, I'm so fascinated with myself. <laughs> you know, I think that that is a place that I wish for other people too. Like, I think I'm interested and invested in my own pleasure because I do know now that I deserve it. It's a right. It is, it is the thing that helps me show up well for other people. Like when I think about my values, it's like, my life is committed to others. I am deeply committed to being a good friend, being a serious community member, but I cannot do that by neglecting myself, which is what I operated from for years. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier too was how you learned about pleasure, like through media, or maybe I can't remember if you said pleasure or sex specifically, but um, that you learned like through media and stuff. And one of the concepts that is just talked about in general literacy studies is this idea of a literacy sponsor. And typically it's someone who like, will coach other people how to read or, you know, very pivotal of that, but there are also literacy sponsors in our pleasure journeys. It's like, mm -hmm. who, who taught you how to feel good? Where did you learn how to feel good? Um, and being, have, being able to reflect on that, have answers to that, I find is really helpful. Um, Cause something that came up in my research too, is I would ask this question specifically, like, what were you taught about pleasure as a kid? Um, what do you remember about that? And for most of the participants, it was like, I wasn't taught anything. Um, but really the, the truth behind that is our moms were not, most of our mothers were not taught explicitly about pleasure. We're not taught explicitly about sex. And also knowing of course that pleasure and sex are not synonymous um, at all. But it's like when either of these things are talked about, then yeah, it's really hard to teach that to somebody else. And a thing that I'm really have been reflecting on as an only child to a single mother for years, I deeply subscribe to the idea that for my mom to be a good mom, she 
has to deny herself completely to show up for me. Mm. It's shit for just her. It's us, you know? And it's like, I just, that's just what I thought. And it makes me sad to think that, but it's true. And I'm like, now as a 31 year old woman, that's weird. I just turned 31. I'm like, I am 31. That's odd. But as a 31 year old woman, how much better actually would things have been for both of us if she had known your pleasure should come first? You have to tend to yourself first to be able to do anything for me, to be able to do anything for us. And so, that's a lesson that comes so late. Like I that so late. You saying that really resonates with me because my mom was recently she's she's been going through some health issues. She was recently admitted to the hospital. There was a lot of things going on. And when she went in, everything fell apart because she takes care of everything. She if somebody is in the hospital, she calls everybody. She arranges for things. And suddenly the person who was central to that was in the hospital and we were all like what do we do? And so I'm, I, you know, I, me and my older sister were like, we got to rally the troops. We got to get everything together. But it was even interesting as my mom was in the hospital and talking to her, she's thinking, well, what's happening with all of you guys? I need to make sure y'all are okay. And it's like, you're, mm-hmm. you're the one who needs to be centered right now. And so it's been part of my healing journey from that experience to remind her of the ways that she can take care of herself and that she can yes. put herself first. And so yes. we do we do yoga weekly now so I can and I oh, talk yeah. through specifically like this pose right now feel like think about how it feels in your body, how it feels in your hips. Do you feel more space now? And I keep asking her these questions because I'm I know that she doesn't ask herself these questions. And mm. I would have never asked myself these questions if I hadn't started doing, you know, my own yoga practices and hearing from other practitioners, like how, like really think about how you're feeling. I think what you're saying about just being aware, aware of what's going on in your body when things are going wrong, aware of what's going in your body when things are right. People don't do that unless explicitly told. And that's not on TV and it's not like, I didn't experience it elsewhere. And I do, I think it has made my life that much richer knowing Mm. I don't get up to work out every day because I want to change my size. I just don't know if that'll ever happen. And I just don't really care about that. But I do know that when I go and do any kind of workout, if I go running for half an hour, when I come back, I'm like, oh, it feels so good to be in this body. It feels so good to be in this body. And that's what I want to feel every day. Yes. So I'm going to do it as opposed to, I gotta run because if I don't run, then I'm not gonna fit into this outfit. And it's like, mm-hmm. fuck that. Yeah. That's um, guilt and shame. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of, I feel like this quote that I'll see on social media every now and again is like, if hating ourselves into a different body worked, we would all be in different bodies. Like, like that is obviously not the path, you know? So yeah, but but loving ourselves into it is a very different position and practice that, works far better than hating ourselves into that. Amen. That's that's really that's really it. And I think, you know, even though you said you don't have a formula for how people can get in alignment, just that alone, like really just people take note of how you're feeling throughout the day without judgment. Yes. yes. Cuz yeah. you know, if you struggle with any kind of illness, um there's you you're going to go through a lot of feelings <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. your day, throughout your week, whatever. But take note. And I think me just taking note like oh, my, my chest is really tight. My chest is really yeah. tight. And I know that must mean 
that anxiety is here and why is anxiety mm. there and get curious about those feelings. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that at least you can land on some answers then. <laughs> yes. I love that. Being curious, I think is so important because in many ways, like curiosity is what led me to this personally and then professionally. Like I was noticing, okay, I'm curious about what this could be like. And so then I had to do the work to feel the permission to get there. Um, but yeah, curiosity is is a, a major key to it. And it feels like such a privilege to research, focus on, collaborate with, talk with Black women about pleasure. Like, it, I'm like, this is, I've learned, this is where it's at for me. Like, you know, <laughs> like my dissertation is like joining this lineage of intersectional work that puts Black women at the center. And I'm like, you know what? All of, if it doesn't feel like that, I don't want to do it. And mm. I I didn't know even that before. Um, I think curiosity also opened up that space. Um, and being curious about like broadly, this work is I'm just trying to get everyone, specifically Black women, but also everyone to just think about what would it mean to be literate in your own pleasure? Is that something you've ever thought about before? Like, you know, I think in the same ways that we talk about emotional literacy, financial literacy, health literacy, although I have terse relationships to the word health, but still the concept, I think pleasure literacy can like work in those same ways if we're open to being curious about that, you know? Yeah, because I don't think, I definitely don't feel like someone who's literate in my pleasure. I know certain things, I'm probably doing better than I'm giving myself credit for, but yeah. I feel like it's it's not a conversation I have very much. And like, like I said, you know, it's not my, <laughs> my understanding of sex coming from media, I don't think was very helpful to mm-hmm. bringing pleasure into that experience, especially early on in my sexual journey. It was like, me being pleasured was not my focus. Mm, Yes. And that's so true for so many, especially like women, non-binary folks, I believe like, it's like, there are not models room. Like, you know, there's not often room to be like, your pleasure is the one that gets to be centered. Your Mm -hmm. pleasure is the one, like you get to ask for what you want and what you need. Cause yeah, that would come up a lot. Like folks would talk about, even when they knew they like, okay, let's say they're receiving oral and they really want to tell the person, if you could just move to the left, like you'd be right there. But there's this block where even the most intuitive people still feel a difficulty in communicating that. Like that's a very serious barrier because of agency, because of comfort, because of this, because of that. And so I think it also looks like giving ourselves a lot of grace to get to the place that we can imagine um, really asking and demanding what we want specifically. So I think sometimes we can do it really well. Other times it'll be difficult. Then, okay, we'll do it again. And I think we just have to remember that we can come back to that always. Mm-hmm. And like, cause I, I think I also operate in extremes where I'm like, I either have to do this hundred percent perfectly or not at all. Or I have to do this consistently every single time or it never counts. And it's like, no, like, like, you know, any, any progression, any movement is, yeah. it counts, you know, it matters. And I think literacy 
can like I approach literacy also as with understanding that the body is something that can be read and analyzed because I think most often when folks similar to pleasure they just think of sex people hear literacy and they just think of like reading a written word um but so much of that is is coming back to what does it mean for our bodies to be able to communicate with each other and to be responsive to that whether it's in sex or or not in sex because I know we ended up talking about sex a lot which I think it's also important because I'm like, if you had told me five years ago that I'd be airing all my business on a podcast, I'd be like, LOL, you're right. Um, <laughs> I do believe in practicing that because now it's like, I feel zero guilt, zero shame, but I also recognize that not everybody is there yet. And so I do hope um, that folks will continue to give themselves permission to get a little closer to feeling that same freedom to speak freely about the things that they enjoy. Um, and the, watching TV can be just as pleasurable, you know, like a good smoke session can be just as good as pleasurable, a good walk, a really good meal, you know, a massage, a shower. Like there are so many non-sexual pleasures that are just as valid and fulfilling and complement the sexual pleasures if that's a part of your practice. I love that. One thing, so we, we just talked about the work and I think for me, especially like with all the things I'm working on, I need breaks. Um, mm. I need to not, sometimes, sometimes I need to not do things perfectly. I need to not be, you know, if I'm not getting in alignment, then I need to be like, that's okay. And so what are some of your escape tendencies from this kind of work and just to kind of give yourself a break when you don't feel like you're a hundred percent embodying what you know to be in alignment with your pleasure? Yeah. Hmm. I was trying to think about escape and I was like, do I see it as an escape? Do I see it as something else? Do I, but I think there are definitely some times where it's like, yeah, I just want out. <laughs> or, you know, I need, mute, I need to mute some of the anxiety, um, napping. I guess, yeah, when I like really want to just escape, I'm like, we can just go to sleep for a while. And hopefully the subconscious will not do too much with the dreams. But uh, napping, um, really good food. Like my favorite day of the week is a Friday night. Uh, because I learned a couple years ago, um, honestly, when I think of us pre-pandemic, like it's all in fast forward to me. Like we were just so busy and it was like, my schedule used to be every single night of the week, I would have some commitment with, com some commitment with somebody. So by the time Friday would hit, I would be exhausted, but it would, t it took me almost a year to realize like almost every Friday I had the temptation to cancel my Friday plans. <laughs> And I would feel like when I would actually just do it, oh, I would feel so much relief, you know? So instead of canceling on people, I just clear my Friday nights. And what I give myself permission to do is one, I know that time of rest is guaranteed and it's coming. Two, I get to, I usually take a very late nap. And then when I wake up, I'm like, okay, I'm going to um, order order or cook, but most likely orders like the exact very specific food that I want. And I'm going to find um, a TV show or a movie that's going to make me, that's going to tap into whatever feeling I want that night. Usually it's something nostalgic. Sometimes I want something really, really funny. Maybe I just want something sweet and then I'm going to get elevated and we're going to have a great time. 
mostly I want to do this by myself. Sometimes maybe it's with other people, but it's like Friday nights are that sacred time where I get to just do what I do exactly what I want to do. Some ways, even I, I still think I sprinkle this throughout the week. I schedule massages, go get a pedicure, like, you know, just really canceling plans sometimes is essential to like when I feel too stressed and like my head's about to pop off, I'm like, okay, something's got to give. And the truth that I had to learn is that there is usually always something that can give. And I think I used to not give myself permission to do that. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't want to let this person down or do this. But if it's going to call, if it's causing me physical stress, I have to be willing to make that shift and know that the world's still going to spin. So, okay, maybe I'm too stressed to see you tonight, but I can make time for you next week. That has been a really big thing. Or even maybe it's not that, or even it's even just professional work when deadlines fall too much on top of each other, just giving myself the permission to ask for something being moved. And it brings, it's like every time I do it, it brings so much relief that I'm just like, I can't believe I wasn't going to ask for this, you know? Like, yeah. Canceling, canceling is the move. I would say reschedule, you know, it's like, it really is though. Like it really, really is. And so I think those are some, oh, masturbation, of course. Um, there's a hot tub in town that is like really just relaxing. Like I'm very, I'm a super spa girl. Like anything that is anything similar to a spa, that's my going to be my top choice of escape. Almost. Yeah. Always. I mean, all of these things are things that are pleasurable to you. I feel like mm -hmm. it's like, these are, I mean, doing all of this, but I think that is the point. Like when we're escaping, I think that looking for that thing that will give you the most pleasure is important. Like I found, mm -hmm. you know, really thinking about like, just throughout the week, like working is hard, well, no matter what kind of work you do, it's hard. And finding ways to like give myself pleasure in between each of those days that are like, ah, like it's like, I'm gonna jump in the tub and mm. I'm not gonna even set a time limit. Yes. I'm just gonna sit in there with bubbles or Epsom salt and mm. I'm just gonna soak for as long as I feel like it. And sometimes I'm in there for 20 minutes and I'm like, I wanna get out. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'm in there for an hour and a half and I'm like, oh shoot, did I, is it? I should get out now. <laughs> like yeah. I've been in here for so long that it's probably too late for me to make dinner. But it's like that, that has become like a new freedom to me where I'm like, you can just not put a timestamp on things. Right. That feels good. I think. I've learned that was something that came up in my research. I think that was a thing. Maybe I, it's like I do and didn't anticipate that it's giving yourself the permission to like one completely prioritize yourself in that moment to allow yourself to be still and to have no, there's like no expectations around it. And I think so often everything else that we do, especially as black women, there's some kind of expectation. There's some kind of, probing, time limit, whatever. Like, I think that's such a perfect example. You get to go be in the tub for as long as you need. And then your body gets to communicate back to you how long that needs to be. It makes me think too, like, I love shopping by myself when I'm looking for my own stuff. And now it's weird to even think about shopping in stores because it's mostly been online. But I love going shopping by myself because again, if I want to take 20 minutes, I'm going to take 20 minutes. But if I want to take two hours, I... I can't think about inconveniencing anyone else if I really want to be in the moment. 
And I, and that's what I hear from your, your bath time. Yeah. That that's like such a good example. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I love shopping with you. So I just, I need uh, to, I, I guess. <laughs> It's one of my fa- honestly, I don't think I like shopping with myself as much as I like shopping with you because I need someone to push me to wear certain things that I'm like, that's not gonna work. Mm. You're like, just try it. Like you're the queen of just try it. And you just shove yes. it in my face and you push me into the yes. dressing room with like, and then while I'm in the dressing room, you bring like four more things and you're like, try this yes. too and this and this. And that is just a great experience because also about that experience is that you help me remove all expectations. Mm. I think that's key where I'm like, I'm just trying on stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it looks terrible. I can just take it off after. Exactly. There's no consequences. Yeah. This weekend, um, me, Shannon and Darren went shopping because they both just made full professors. So awesome and exciting. That's awesome. And so they're having a party and they need a new outfits. And I do love, like when I'm shopping for me, I need to be by myself, but I love shopping with other people, mainly because I get to be very bossy, but to everyone's benefit. <laughs> so, you know, I always have to remind them of the rules, like the size on the tag matters not, we're going for fit. And you have to think about feeling, like how do you want to feel in this garment? And then you have to try on everything. You can never know if you're not willing to try it. And maybe there are some lessons in that for us and pleasure too. Um, but it's especially fun. Yeah, I like live vicariously through all of you when I'm like, okay, go try on these 20 dresses. Um, because it's, it's also a very interesting practice as a fat person too, because it's like, you know, I'll have like three options <laughs> in the same store, but you'll get like 20. And I'm like, I get to see what all of these things look like. And you all trust me and are willing to explore new aesthetics new styles and it's it's a very that's that's a very pleasurable practice for sure again back at fashion I'm like so I'm like I literally was literally like my first major in college was fashion you know I've always been into it so I don't know why I'm always so surprised but I'm like yeah fashion is like very central to yourself like you know but it's it's just a reminder it's a good reminder too, because fashion just feels good. It just feels good to wear clothes that fit you well, that fit and that you, well. you like can look at yourself and be like, "Yeah, this is this yes, is the look." And looking at ourselves through photo shoots, like I am so excited for the next time that you and I get to go shopping and also get to take pictures because I think there's so much healing in being in front of the camera with people you love. And being like, we feel good, we love each other, and we're in these photos, and they look fantastic, and then it's memories. Like, I cannot, and I I feel like the first time I really experienced that was when I came to Seattle, and we were at, like, is it the skyline? Is that is that an appropriate? We were at a park. Yeah, we were at a park, and I can't remember the name of the park honestly because it's just so small. But it's a place where you could look out and see this Seattle skyline. You can okay. see, yeah, you can see all all of the things, and it's just like this beautiful backdrop for a perfect yes. photo shoot. Yes, I think honestly, when I think about it, I feel like every almost every significant photo shoot that I have been a part of that has like drastically increased and cemented my sense of sense of self you were there for it like genuinely taking pictures with you is like I've learned like this is a pleasure practice for me like it's a thing that I need (laughs) you know it it just it does things uh for the body for the mind for the soul 
that I, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have, I knew that before, but now after a year of not being able to do that, I'm like, I have suffered immensely. <laughs> we <laughs> pictures, you know, but really it's, but it's all the things around it, right? Like we both feel good. We've given ourselves permission to be in outfits that we love, but we're also like gassing each other up the whole time. It's love, it's joy. It's, yeah. When I go now, I'm thinking about that quote, like the great, what is it? The greatest love is pleasure. The greatest pleasure is love. The greatest pleasure is love. That's photo shoots with you for me. Uh, like, one of those things for sure is that. I love that. I love that as a as a final note, because I just feel like, well, we could talk about anything forever. That's one thing I know is yeah. that <laughs> we're both very reflective people. And I think it's because we love ourselves that much to yes, absolutely to get all of these things. But yeah, it's it, there is something special about when we can come together and take mm -hmm. photos and just we will never deny ourselves good food together. Never. Uh, we will always. <laughs> We will always value being elevated in any mm -hmm. of the ways cannabis mm -hmm. is a lifesaver. Yes. Um, and so I just feel like I am super excited for my birthday that's coming up where we're yes. going to partake in all of the pleasures and we can get to talk about this even more because I just, I'm so fascinated by this work. I'm so fascinated that you've gotten to talk to so many people specifically about their pleasure literacy. And I, I would love listeners to like DM me, send me messages, whatever the case may be. Call me. No, don't call me. I hate answering the phone. But, uh, you know, reach out to me and tell me like what you've learned about your own pleasure after listening to this, because I think this is something mm. that you'll hear and it might just sit with you for a while before you even pick up on it. So I, that's something that I, I would love for listeners, even like several episodes after this to reach out and we'll, we'll kind of circle back and talk about this again sometime because this yeah. is something that it's expansive. There's so much to it and I love it. I love that. I so appreciate the opportunity to just chat with you. And yeah, I hope that, I do hope also that as people reflect on their own experiences, that they will see the things that we're talking about are so within reach. We're talking about good food, taking pictures, just going shopping, taking a bath. Like, you know, it's like, we don't, I think sometimes whether media or otherwise, show pleasures these really expensive and extravagant and like things out of reach and it can sure also be that whatever but it's also so many things that are already within you within reach like you know it's it can be so many things um i guess a final thing that i'll offer uh one of my questions that i ask the participants to reflect on are what are the pleasures that they enjoy when it's just them, sexual pleasures that they enjoy by themselves versus non-sexual pleasures by themselves and sexual pleasures that they enjoy with a partner or a group of people versus non-sexual pleasures with a partner or a group of people. And if folks feel like, if you don't know where else to start, just make a quadrant, put that on a piece of paper and just start thinking about what are some of those things and how can you start engaging it? And I would end each, um, interview with one asking folks to reflect on why they feel that they're worthy of pleasure but then also to just think about what can you do for your pleasure tonight and tomorrow and what does it look like to ask yourself that every day because it can be so easy to develop an annual or a monthly pleasure practice even a weekly one but that daily part can be hard and 
it doesn't mean that you have to do it every day, but at least to have it on our minds every day can get us a little bit closer to where we maybe really, you know, deserve to live and can exist from. This podcast is a labor of love. And too often, labor by Black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated, and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon or sending funds via Venmo. All information is available on that'snolongermyministry.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release. Bye, fam.